I'm Hannah Garland, mom, wife, formerly overwhelmed human being, and I believe in living an uncommon life. In my uncommon life, I know I'm not meant to be a perfect person, but I am meant to be a peaceful one, free from anxiety and unrest. In pursuit of this purpose, I live intentionally, making choices to take care of myself, simplify all facets of my life, and trust in God. Do you feel like it takes every ounce of your energy just to barely get through each day? Too often people, especially wives and moms, feel chronically anxious and unwell because they don't devote time to understanding what would truly bring them peace and joy. Meanwhile, they go through the motions and miss out on their purpose. I want to invite you to stop surviving and start thriving. Learning to thrive can be a simple notion. Sometimes it looks like getting through the day, but with more peace and fulfillment. Your uncommon life will look differently than anyone else's. My goal is to empower you with the knowledge to make choices for yourself that are beneficial for your mind, body, and soul. This is your uncommon life. Start living it. Hello, everyone. We're going to talk about work-life balance, especially now that so many people are working from home. Many of us are working from home, more people than ever, and we all have to deal with a new boundary paradigm. Previously, you probably spent certain hours of your day at the office and the remainder were spent at home. Ideally, those hours were pretty consistent. The physical boundary between work and home made the division clear and work-life balance was more accessible, for most of us at least. But now your office is your spare bedroom, your email is on your phone, and notifications pop up when you're taking pictures of your baby. And you're never quite sure when it's time to clock off. So here's a harsh truth. Your employer doesn't really care about you, and they're not going to protect you or look out for you. Unless you're a niche case where you work at your mom's shop or you own your own business, you likely work for someone who just doesn't care. They have a bottom line. That is their number one priority, and you are hired to help them make money. Work will take everything you give it and then come back for more. They won't look out for you, so you have to look out for yourself. If you feel overworked or like the lines between work life and home life are becoming blurred, it's up to you and you alone to establish clear, strong boundaries and hold them consistently in order to protect yourself and avoid unnecessary burnout and work stress. As I've gotten older and more senior in my career, I have developed a bulldog attitude about protecting myself and those who work for me. No one ever taught me about this, so I've been pretty adamant about passing this knowledge on to my employees. I always told my employees not to overwork, to look out for themselves, and to never apologize for setting a boundary if they hadn't done anything to apologize for. I hope to encourage you to do the same today. We'll talk about how to set boundaries in an effective and non-confrontational way today. But first, here is how not to do it. 12 years ago, a young college graduate, I still had a lot to learn. In 2009, at my first marketing job, I thought I was doing all of the right things. I installed a work email app on my phone so I could respond to email when anyone needed me. I brought my laptop home with me every night just in case. We were constantly IMing and chatting, sometimes late at night, and would hold, quote, emergency calls at odd hours. We seemed to have a lot of emergencies and fire drills. I even worked on sick days because everyone else seemed to be doing that, and I didn't want to fall behind. 
I never questioned what consequences would come from this lifestyle. I thought that this level of sacrifice was required to succeed when in fact, it led to my downfall at this and a few different companies as I got used by managers when I overextended myself. I had zero boundaries with work. Every single work event, happy hour, and lunch, I was there. I would stay late, socialize, and drink too much. As a naive 21-year-old, I didn't know that saying no to anything was an option. I was too afraid of the image I'd project if I attempted to establish a boundary. I didn't want to be seen as difficult. This lifestyle came to a head later that year. As I said, this was 2009, and you may recall that that was the year of the swine flu pandemic. A few people in my office got it, and then just a couple days later, I was sicker than I've ever been in my life. I don't know if I had it for sure, but the timing seemed likely that I had swine flu. Regardless, I was super sick. I took a few days off, not expecting to work during that time. I thought sick days meant you don't work. But my work kept pinging me, sending me patient emails asking if I was going to join calls. Instead of being objective and direct and saying, nope, I am extremely sick and I cannot join, I assumed I had no choice and I joined the meeting that they asked me to join. Unfortunately, this means that I set a bad precedent for a boundary I was willing to shift. Of course, that one meeting ballooned into a day of meetings, which turned into lots of work for me to do after hours. I was exhausted, but I still gave my employer the benefit of the doubt. I never actively thought that they cared about me, but I did think that they knew that I was sick. So they wouldn't enlist my help unless it was really necessary, right? I was very wrong. Work will take whatever you give them and then some. I give them an inch by joining one call while sick, and they took a mile or 10 miles. On the third day of sickness, still working, I got a ping at midnight that I did not respond to because it was midnight. Yet another, quote, emergency that I had to help with. The next day, my boss reprimanded me for not responding to the ping and told me that I needed to respond in a timely manner when they reached out to me. I don't know what timely means when it's midnight. It didn't matter to them that I was homesick and that it was late. All that mattered was that my light on my chat app was green, so it looked like I was active, and yet I didn't respond. So they thought I was willfully disengaging. And because I had set a precedent of working at odd hours, they expected me to be available. Meanwhile, I was just confused why they were asking so much of me. I left that job a couple months later feeling very disenchanted with the corporate world, assuming that I just wasn't cut out for it, and telling myself that if I had been able to keep up with the work, I never would have been pushed so hard by my employer. In reality, the problem was that I didn't have a backbone. I had let them push me around until I snapped. Over time, though, I figured out how to establish that boundary line and hold it. After I got burned by a couple more managers and employers who were happy to take whatever I would give them and walked all over me when I bent over backwards for them, I started to be more direct about what I needed. No longer afraid that it would hurt my career, I put my foot down and I looked out for myself when I realized that no one else would look out for me. It didn't happen all at once or in one big dramatic moment, but over time, I decided that I simply don't work in the evenings. I will not respond when I'm not in the office. I don't work while on vacation. There are no emergencies in marketing, and if I'm really sick, I'll see you in a couple of days. Since that first job, I have never once, one single time, been reprimanded for any one of my boundaries, despite working in multiple organizations. Yes, there are times where I've had to work a lot, 
but the boundaries that I've held firm have not been crossed. And if they have, I've pushed back. I'll show you how to do that today. The unexpected outcome of all of this is that I actually succeeded more in my career after I developed this mindset. I was no longer too burned out, so I was able to be sharp and contribute well. Additionally, I like to think that my employers learned to respect me when I started holding firm to my boundaries. This is because you respect people who are clear and direct. They show you that they won't be taken for granted, and that's a very respectable quality, especially in a leader. If you want to be in a leadership position, you should not let yourself get walked all over. If I'm hiring someone to be a people manager, I don't want to hire a doormat. I want to hire a bulldog. Now that more people than ever work from home, boundaries can easily become confused. When boundaries aren't clear, expectations aren't clear. And you can't really blame someone for crossing a boundary that you haven't clearly outlined. If your work doesn't know where your boundary is, they will take whatever they can get. And you might be left feeling disrespected, burned out, and taken advantage of. So today, we are going to talk about how you can establish clear boundaries with your employer. Some of these are conversations you can have, but most boil down to you just acting consistently and not setting precedents that you don't want to keep. This is a fairly non-confrontational way to keep boundaries, and the responsibility for being successful lies entirely on your shoulders and how consistent you are. Before we dive into how to set boundaries, let's have a quick chat about why some people struggle to set boundaries. Is it that they're really hard to set? Or is it that you feel guilty setting them? I'd guess it's the latter, especially for women. I know a lot of people who would rather be overworked or even quit a job than have to have a conversation about boundaries. But as you'll see today, it's actually really simple to put certain boundaries into place and it does not require conflict. Simple actions and simple conversations can be had. What will stop you from doing this is your mindset and that feeling of guilt. If you do feel guilty about pushing back on work and establishing boundaries, consider where that guilt comes from and if it's productive or unproductive guilt. Productive guilt is guilt that points to something that you've actually done wrong that you need to make right. For example, if you have been slacking on work, your guilt about setting boundaries makes sense. It would be wrong for you to push back on work if you aren't giving it your best effort. Today's podcast is for people who are giving it their best effort at work, who are doing their jobs well, and therefore have earned the right to set strong boundaries. Unproductive guilt comes from something you tell yourself that isn't true or from some cultural expectation of you. For example, I feel like women are naturally conflict avoidant people pleasers. We don't want to be seen as difficult or demanding. We want to be seen as nice. So the guilt might come from feeling like you shouldn't push back, like you're being difficult if you establish a clear boundary. I have seen this guilt time and time again in my female friends. Oddly enough, I know very few men who feel this way, especially men in leadership. So if you are otherwise a good employee who puts your best effort in every day, you should feel no guilt for being clear about where your personal boundaries lie. Today, I will regularly say things like, do not apologize and protect yourself. Not apologizing is about having a very objective mindset. I think women apologize a lot because, as I said, we feel guilty for causing disruptions and don't want to be seen as unkind. Often when we apologize, we aren't apologizing for setting a boundary, we're usually apologizing for being perceived as unkind. 
This is a really important distinction. So you have to change your mindset about this and remember that protecting yourself with a boundary isn't unkind. It's actually the kindest thing you can do and no one's gonna do it for you. Being direct isn't unkind. It's actually helpful to all parties involved so no one's confused about expectations. When you hold firm, you are simply doing what you need to do to stay sane and be a productive employee. Overworked and stressed people tend to be less productive. After a certain number of hours of work, we just aren't as sharp. So boundaries are good for you and for your productivity, and therefore they're good for your employer. So again, don't feel guilty about them. Now that we've got the guilt out of the way, here are several ways that you can protect yourself and set clear boundaries. I've learned these lessons over the years and have had success implementing all of them. This might seem overwhelming, as you'll have to shift the way you think about work, so we will start slow and easy. The first thing you can do is to be wary of establishing bad precedents for behaviors you don't want to keep up. This is the key to holding any boundary that is very dear to you, like established work hours. I'll explain what I mean. One of my employees responded to a client email at 9 p.m. thinking it was the right thing to do. He practically bragged about it the next day. I immediately asked him, what did you do? When I explained to him that what he had done was let the client cross a boundary and set a precedent that would encourage future after-hours communications, my employee immediately regretted working late. He'd basically handed the client free work. We were paid for 45 hours a week, but here, I'll work an extra five hours for you every night. It was ridiculous. And sure enough, that client started reaching out to our team late at night and would reach out to that same employee if no one responded, knowing that he would respond. My employee wasn't comfortable setting a firm line, and that's okay, it was my responsibility as the manager of the team. I nipped it in the bud when one time at a 7 a.m. meeting, which I know is early, but one of my clients was in Singapore, so we had to meet at odd hours sometimes. At that 7 a.m. meeting, the same client asked why I wasn't presenting his PowerPoint that he had emailed to me earlier that morning. Mind you, this PowerPoint wasn't ready. It required about an hour of work for me to edit and set up before presenting. Instead of going into all of that, I simply responded to him in a calm tone. I don't work before 7 a.m., but I will incorporate your PowerPoint right after this meeting. I did not apologize because I had done nothing wrong and it wasn't a problem. He simply said, okay, and we all moved on. And you know what? He never expected me to do his work before 7 a.m. again. He'd still email me early in the morning, but he never asked me why I didn't get back to him until a normal work hour. I stayed firm, and I refused to establish a precedent that I didn't want to upkeep. Note that that uncomfortable conversation with my client could have been avoided if we had never set a bad precedent to begin with. So before you agree to anything, just take a few seconds and think to yourself, is this something that I want to keep doing? If I establish this precedent, and this crops up again in my future, am I okay with that? Is this a behavior that I want to upkeep? And if it's not, don't be ashamed to say no or to counter with a compromise that suits you better. Stick up for yourself. Now there are boundaries you can set with yourself and boundaries you can set with others. Let's talk about digital boundaries now, which are again pretty easy. These are boundaries you can set with yourself. Whether you work from home or go into work, you can set boundaries digitally with your phone, computer, schedule, and email. These digital boundaries will affect everyone who tries to contact you without ever having to have any uncomfortable conversations. Here's the key thing. 
Do not install work email or chat applications like Slack on your personal phone. At every job since that first marketing job, even the most high pressure ones, even when I got more senior, I never installed email or chat clients on my phone. Why? Because every little email notification that pops up sends my blood pressure up five points. And I don't need that in my life. I don't need that around the clock. And the emails are almost never about anything that can't wait until the next morning when I'm back on my computer. Removing the email apps removes the temptation to check my notifications. If you prefer to have a separation between work and personal life and do not absolutely have to have email or chat on your phone, which very few of us actually have to have it, uninstall the work email and chat apps right now. Literally click pause on this podcast and do it right now. Don't overthink this step. This is one of the easiest boundaries you can set. You don't need permission from anyone and you don't have to tell anyone. You don't actually need email on your phone to be a good employee either. Unless you're paid to be on call, you aren't on call. So don't act like you are. In the event that anyone asks why you didn't respond to an email, assuming the email was sent after hours, there are ways to be firm, direct, and polite while maintaining your boundary. Just ask, when was it sent? Even if you know the answer. Oh, when did you send the email? If they respond 8 p.m. or some similarly absurd hour, politely respond, Oh yeah, that's because I stopped working after 5 p.m., but I will get to it first thing in the morning. Do not apologize and do not establish a bad precedent by shifting your boundary. You're doing nothing wrong by having a boundary of not working in the evenings if you're not paid to work in the evenings. An email response is timely as long as it's sent within one business day, so the next morning shouldn't bother anybody. If it becomes clear that people are concerned about how to reach you after hours when you're no longer responding to your emails after hours, remind them that they can always call you. A true emergency will merit a phone call, right? This is the golden secret that has saved me over the years. If you tell people they can call you, you look agreeable and they have a lifeline, but you're protected because they'll probably never call you. People don't like making phone calls these days, so when this is their only option to get in touch with you, they'll think twice before exercising it. I think I've been called a handful of times in the 10 years that I've been practicing this. The next boundary has to do with your physical computer or laptop. This is not quite as possible these days for everybody, especially with so many people working from home 100% of the time. But if at all possible, leave your laptop at work or in the very least in your home office space. I left mine at work back when it was possible to do so, maybe five plus years ago. It saved me so much grief and I never actually missed anything important because as I said, there are no marketing emergencies. When I got more senior and managed teams of people, it became more important to take my laptop home with me, but I kept it in my work bag unless someone texted or called me telling me that they needed me. I never, absolutely never voluntarily check it while at home. Another way you can protect yourself is by setting hours. If you work from home, the concept of work hours is likely a fuzzy one. Even if no one contacts you after 5 p.m., it can be really easy to just keep working on your own because your work is your home and your home is your work. Mitigate this by setting hours in your schedule. If you have a meeting-heavy job like I did, It's especially helpful to set your work hours in your Outlook or whatever other email client that you use at work. If you aren't sure how, simply Google. Change work hours and days in Outlook and you'll see it's pretty simple. 
I set work hours of 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. in Outlook. So what this meant was no one could schedule meetings outside of those hours and actually expect me to attend because I had given them digital notice of my availability. Furthermore, I wanted to protect my lunchtime each day, which I would use to exercise. So I blocked an hour every day for weeks on end. It was just a recurring meeting that I had with myself. I didn't offer an explanation or ask for permission. I just put a block on the calendar every day that everyone could see that said Hannah lunch and no one ever questioned it. In fact, when my boss's boss saw me running during lunch one day, he applauded it and said it was great that I was taking time away from meetings. You don't have to be sheepish about taking breaks that are owed to you. And just because you're at home now doesn't mean you don't deserve regular breaks. Once you decide on those work hours, it's really important that you're consistent in upholding them. This is your precedent that you're setting. You can't wait for your work to tell you when to clock off each night. It is up to you to decide that you won't check work email or that you will stop working on that project after a certain hour. If you say you are done at 5 p.m., assuming you've actually done your tasks for the day, be done at 5 p.m. If you say it, but then people regularly see you working at 7 p.m., they won't believe you and they'll expect you to keep working later. Don't be too generous with the hours you provide either. Don't fall prey to thinking that working more hours always has a positive correlation to being a better employee, when it might actually have a correlation to working inefficiently or to being a doormat. Whenever I learned that my employees were working odd hours, I would ask them why. And if there was a good reason, like they were correcting some errors they had made during the day, that's fine. But if there wasn't a good reason, I'd tell them to stop. They seemed to think that it was a badge of honor to be putting in extra time, but I made it clear that it wasn't. What I needed was a team of sharp, energized people who were happy to be there. I didn't want a team of burned out people who were spinning their wheels and wasting time at night as though they were adding any value. I told them that unless they were up late because they were correcting their own errors that prevented them from finishing their tasks for the day, then there was no reason to be working at 9 p.m. On to sick days, an area where I obviously made some mistakes when I was younger. In this day and age, when we can usually work from home without much disruption, sick days seem like an archaic practice. If we can work from our sick bed, it's hard to know when you're too sick to work and how to hold that line. Most people I used to work with would still work from home while sick. And sure, if you just have a scratchy throat, you can probably work. But if you're actually sick enough that staring at a screen all day and taking meetings will adversely affect your health, then you have every right to take one of those sick days or personal days that you have in your benefits at work, assuming you have any benefits. I understand that some people don't. It's about your health, and it's up to you to protect your health. Work does not care about you or your health and will rarely encourage you to take time off. So you have to stick up for yourself here. Sick days are a boundary that you can set for yourself and set with others. When I started working while sick with the swine flu in 2009, my workplace took advantage. They must have figured that if I was able to take one meeting, I was able to work all day. I wasn't clear with what I needed and didn't stand up for myself. What's more, I had set a precedent that it was okay to treat me that way. Fast forward 10 years, and at my most recent job, if I was really sick, I did not ask for permission to take sick time. I just took it, because I had every right to, and they couldn't fire me for being sick for a day. I wrote an email to my boss or scheduled a call and simply said, I am too sick to work, and I have to take a sick day. If you need me, you can call me. 
I will update you later today with how I'm feeling and if I think I'll be able to work tomorrow. Then I set an out of office message on my email, shut my laptop and truly rested. Your health is more important than anything. Don't let your work steal it from you. As a former manager, I can tell you that I never faulted an employee for telling me they were too sick to work. A bad manager might, but that isn't your burden to worry about. You can't carry that guilt when you've done nothing wrong. Vacations are similar to sick days. If you have vacation days in your benefits, use them. Americans are notorious for letting vacation benefits lapse. I think people hear the words vacation days and assume that they need to have a vacation scheduled or be going somewhere to get the time off. This is not true at all. These are just days off that you get to use how you want to. Schedule an at-home vacation if you need to. Then just check out of work and take your well-deserved time off. I had an employee once who asked me if it would be okay if he only worked the first few days of vacation. I was flabbergasted. I don't know where his idea that he needed to work at all came from. Maybe he had a former manager who expected it, but that's not right. No one has any right to force you to work when you're taking a vacation day as a benefit. You are very protected in that sense. So I told him that under no circumstances was he allowed to work on vacation at all and that he shouldn't even bring his laptop. So no matter where you go or if you just stay at home, take vacation and do not check in with work at all during your time off. The company survived before you got there. They'll survive while you're on vacation. The last thing we're going to talk about is a physical space. And this is really just a physical boundary for you to remember to keep work separate. If you are working from home, if at all possible, set up a physical space that you can call your office. This will vary based on your home and the setup and configuration of your home. Whatever you do, do not make your workspace your bed. You must have at least one place you can work that is not your bed. Your bed is for relaxation and love, period. It is a sacred space. Your workspace should be something that you can leave after work hours and not return to until the next day. If you have to work in your bedroom or in a living space, try to segregate your work area as much as possible. This can be done with a small piece of furniture, like a table or a desk, and with a color scheme or decor that looks distinct from the rest of the room. You could have a certain lamp at your desk that only turns on when you're working, or add a room divider or a curtain to the area. Call this space your office. Don't call it the living room or the bedroom. It's your office. When your designated work hours are over, this space is where you will leave your laptop, you'll shut off your little work lamp and leave the office. It can be scary to set boundaries, even if you have shed any unproductive guilt about boundaries. But I hope you've seen today that you can passively set boundaries without confrontation with how you manage your digital workspace, your physical workspace, your hours, and by not setting precedents that you don't want to keep. And if you have to have a conversation, remember a few principles. Objectivity, directness, and consistency. Objectivity means being unemotional and not apologizing if you aren't in the wrong. Directness is just honesty and clarity. It's not about being mean or aggressive. Consistency is about setting a line and holding it, just like your male boss would or like you'd encourage any of your friends to do if they were in your shoes. So just remember, don't let work seal your time, your health, or creep into your personal life. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you like the podcast, the best way you can help out is to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. 
You can visit my website, youruncommonlife.com, to read blogs, find podcast transcripts, and more. Please join my Facebook group, Your Uncommon Life Community, to join a group of supportive people. 